Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 33. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be continuing on with Matthew chapter 26 and then also into chapter 27. So uh, where we're going to see Peter's denial of Jesus and we're going to answer the question or attempt to answer the question, why did, while both Peter and Judas denied Jesus, why does one get to be a pope and another one has a history of shame forever everlasting? Uh, we're also going to look at um, the, uh, the death of Judas and some controversy there. We're going to see uh, the sentence of death pronounced by, uh, by Pilate. And we're going to see a very uh, a verse that's misconstrued uh, by, by uh, some anti-Semitic people and take a look at it uh, uh, from a, a different perspective. So we'll just see how far we get in Matthew 27. But for right now, uh, turn to, unless you're driving, of course, turn to Matthew chapter 26 and we'll pick up on verse 69. So I'm going to summarize Peter's denial of Jesus because I assume that you already have a sense that he has denied uh, Jesus three times before the cock crows, you know, the rooster crows. Um, FYI, um, Mark says that the rooster crowed twice at the you know conclusion of 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 Peter's denials. Uh, we don't get hung up on little details like that. We're looking at the main part of the, of the story um, again. Um, so moving, moving on with that. So at the, at the end of that story, um, when Peter realizes that he has denied Jesus three times, it says that Peter went out and began to weep bitterly. Okay. So then shortly after that, we have the death of Judas, where Judas, and now we're into chapter 27, He it says he regretted what he had done. So he wasn't thrilled about it. And it says he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I've sinned in betraying innocent blood. So they re he recognizes that Jesus is innocent, but as we saw in the last uh, session, he doesn't recognize that Jesus is Lord. He thinks he's basically betrayed a friend uh, as opposed to betraying Lord and Savior. And so he says, I don't want the money. So that's an argument that he didn't do it out of greed. He did it you know, for, for some other reason. Uh, perhaps uh, there has been an argument uh, suggested that Judas wanted Jesus to be betrayed, uh, wanted to betray Jesus to force Jesus' hand and thus bring in a Jewish kingdom on earth where Jesus would overthrow the Romans. So that's an interesting idea. Um, but obviously it wasn't for the money, at least in this, uh, in this uh, story, because he, he didn't keep the money at the end. Um, and so um, what does he do? He throws the 30 pieces of silver 
uh, flinging the money into the temple, he departed and went off and hanged himself. Okay, let's stop right there. It says here he hanged himself. Yet there's another account of Judas's death, and it's in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 18 and on. It says that Judas bought the potter's field. He fell headlong, and he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out. That's pretty gross. Um, so which is it? Did he hang himself, or did he fall down, and, the, and, and the, you know, his bowels bur uh, burst? Well, for one thing, they could both be true, right? Because um, if he hanged himself, well, we don't know how long he was hanging for. It could be several days, and perhaps the rope at some point broke under the weight of Judas, and then he fell, and he, you know, his insides could have burst at that time. So that is a possibility. Um, but know that there is a controversy because the skeptics out there that will talk to you about your faith will say, hey, they can't get the details right. Okay, well, thing number one, both the fact that uh, in this account, Judas hanged himself and in the Acts account where he fell and burst open, they, they could have both been true. That's thing number one. And thing number two is our faith teaches us, the Catholic Church teaches us, that everything in the Bible is true for the sake of our salvation. Okay, so does it really matter at the in the, uh, you know how exactly uh, his body and ended up? So we'll go with that. But uh, why is this story in there? Uh, well, it's we'll we'll read on in verse six. The chief priest gathered up the money, but said it's not lawful to deposit this in the temple treasury, for it is the price of blood. After consultation, they used it to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. Verse 8, this is why that field even today is called the field of blood. So it's uh, paid for by the potter. Verse 9, then was fulfilled what had been said through Jeremiah the prophet. And they took the third, and this is the quote, but it's really not a quote. Um, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of a man with a price on his head, or for that matter, a slave, a price set by some of the Israelites, and they paid it out for the potter's field, just as the Lord had commanded me. So um, actually, I think a better verse that where this prophecy would be fulfilled would be in uh, Zechariah, if you want to write this in your margins, chapter Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Zechariah was a prophet. He was rejected, basically, by those who he was prophesying to. And he said, well, pay me what you think my, my prophesying job is worth. And they gave him only 30 pieces of silver. That's kind of an insult. Uh, it would be like if you went to a restaurant and you give your waitress a two-penny tip. You know, you're basically saying you're you're worthless. And uh, Zechariah was in, was was uh, instructed by God to throw those thirty pieces of silver into the temple. You know, uh, so uh, if they're uh, but yet, it, it makes uh, reference to a uh, what had been said through Jeremiah the prophet. So in Jeremiah, I don't know if you want to write all this down, uh, a potter buys the field 
in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 2 through 3. Um, and, um, or I should say there's a potter in uh, chapter 18, verse 2 and 3. He buys a field in uh, chapter 32, verse 6 through 9. And it becomes a burial place in chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. I don't see any real need to write all that stuff in your margins. But if you're, you know, really a detail-oriented person, you might consider doing that. Um, then there is a brief account in Matthew of further questioning by Pilate. And uh, Pilate doesn't say too much in this, uh, in this account. When we get to John, we'll see the great question that we are all individually still asking today, where Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? And when we get to John, we'll cover that in some, uh, some depth, uh, in some depth, I should say. Okay, now we're on to verse 15 of chapter 27, and reading through that, um, we see that the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas, ironically, the word Barabbas means son of the father. And of course, the true son of the father is none other than Jesus himself. Um, so when they assembled, Pilate said, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus uh, or, or I should say Barabbas, or Jesus called the Messiah. And uh, they knew that it was out of envy that they had handed him over. That meaning the leaders of the Jews handed him over, not the common people, but the leaders. Why? Because for one thing, uh, Jesus was, um, in their view, attempting to usurp their authority, their position. Um, then we have this little account of, uh, in verse 19, while Pilate was still seated on the bench, his wife sent him a message, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I've suffered much in a dream today because of him. So that's, that little vignette is unique to, uh, to Matthew. Um, so then, um, so he asks again, the crowd, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And they answered, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus called Messiah? They all said, Let him be crucified. But he said, Why? What evil has he done? Um, they only shouted the louder, Let him be crucified. So Pilate saw that he was not succeeding at all, but that a riot was breaking out. Instead, he took water and washed his hands in the sight of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Well, you know, he's innocent of this man's blood, he figures, but yet he still has Jesus crucified. So he took the path of least resistance. Uh, I'm thinking of some of our politicians today with regard who claim to be Catholics, um, uh, who look at issues like um, um, the rights of the unborn. And so they try to placate the crowd, much as Pilate does here. And uh, so they will say something like, well, I'm innocent. You know, I've never had, you know, my wife has never had an abortion or I've never had an abortion. But I think, you know, if that's what you want, I wash my hands of it. And uh, you, you, uh, it's up to you, you know, well, I will vote with the, with the people. And so 
Uh, don't wash your hands of moral issues. Take a stand. Take a stand that the church founded by Christ has has uh, has been consistent with. And uh, don't take the easy way out just because other people are, are against you. Um, so then he says to the people, Pilate says to the people, look to it yourselves. And the whole people said in his in reply, I doubt if it was the whole people, but probably some said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Now, I have, I have known at least one very anti-Semitic man who looks at this verse 25 in chapter 27, his blood be upon us and upon our children, and uses that as a rationale for his own anti-Semitism. And he, he said, uh, hey, uh, they had it coming to them. The Jews had it coming to them. They put Jesus to death. And so they got what they deserved. And uh, even perhaps uh, as far as acknowledging the Nazi Holocaust as being uh, an example of the Jews getting what they deserve. Well, I have a totally different take on that. Ask yourself, whose blood is Jesus Christ really on? Who is responsible for Jesus Christ's death? And the answer, sadly, is all of us, all of mankind. Elsewhere it says in scripture, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus died on the cross for the salvation of all who would accept his message. And uh, so thus, had we never sinned, he would not have had to die on the cross, correct? And uh, what's encouraging to me is if I were the only sinner on this earth, he would have died just for me. Or if you are the only sinner or the only person on earth, uh, he would have died for your sin as well. He loves you and he loves me that much. So we can't put this off on the Jews. They didn't invent sin. Sin was around before them and certainly sin is certainly alive and well uh, after this event. Okay, so they may have uh, hastened that uh, a small crowd of, of individual Jewish leaders may have uh, hastened this act, but Jesus would have died for us anyway at, uh, at some point. So consider that, you know, your sin is uh, what caused Jesus to die as, as payment for, uh, for that sin. Okay, moving on, Jesus is mocked by the soldiers. Uh, he's dressed in a scarlet military cloak. He's, we, uh, he's wearing a, a crown made out of thorns, so royalty. Uh, he, uh, there's a reed or a scepter, you know, kind of a fake scepter placed in his right hand. So uh, the irony here is he's being mocked by the Romans and yet at the same time, uh, by dressing him in, in faux royalty, they are un, unwittingly acknowledging his, uh, his kingship. So then he, um, very short story, uh, again, the other gospel accounts will have other details in this, this whole event that you'll, you'll want to look at. But we see the way of the cross where Simon of Cyrene uh, helps carry his cross. 
And we are reminded that we can also walk with Jesus on his cross, uh, on, on his trip, uh, as we suffer our own uh, issues on earth, our own suffering. We can unite that to Christ, just as Cyrene, uh, Simon of Cyrene uh, united his service to that of Christ uh, with the cross. And they came to a place called Golgotha, which in Latin, by the way, is uh, if you were to say Golgotha in Calvar in uh, in Latin, it would be the word Calvarie, which is where we get our uh, our current uh, understanding of the place as called Calvary. Okay, and then they gave Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. Gall is a painkiller, uh, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink. And then they divided his garments. Um, that's uh, if if you underline divide his garments, and then look up Psalm twenty-two, verse eighteen. You'll see more of Psalm twenty-two um, on the cross very shortly. Uh, in Psalm twenty-two, it says an Old Testament uh, book, of course. It talks about the Messiah whose whose garments will be divided by casting lots. Uh, then they sat down and kept watch over him, and they placed over his head the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. That's all Matthew has to say about it. Uh, John goes into a little more detail on this, and we will, of course, cover that when we get to the book of John. It says, two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. Um, and another translation says that they're robbers, but either way, they're uh, criminals. Um, by the way, if you're looking for where Jesus says to one of them, today you will be with me in paradise, you won't find that in Matthew. You'll see that in Luke's account, as we will cover when we give a brief outline of, uh, of Luke. So um, I think I'll cover that more when we get, when we get to, uh, to Luke. And then Jesus dies, but he, uh, in verse 46, at about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll leave you with this. You might think Jesus was despairing and giving up on God. No, read all of Psalm 22, which is... A lament, if you will, uh, begins out with a begins with a lament, but in the end, it basically says, "Hey, you're God. You're going to do what you want to do. I am totally on board with that." So when Jesus says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" He is not despairing. He is rather reciting scripture. He's reciting from Psalm 22. Read all of Psalm 22. Write that in your margins and read that as soon as you get done listening to this. And you will see that Jesus is uh, actually giving a very positive message here. He's reading, he is reciting scripture as he is dying on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were up on the cross and I were uh, subjected to all of the treatment that Jesus was, I would not be reciting scripture, probably not on the best day of my life. So that should make a totally different reading for you, a totally different understanding of this reading for you. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time for this session. 
So we're going to come back next time and, uh, and pick up with Jesus' death and then his resurrection. And perhaps we will finish uh, the Gospel of Matthew.